you like to better understand the Bible? How can you grow as a Christian and find personal peace? What happens at the second coming of Jesus? What is the relevance of Bible prophecy today? How do you identify a cult? What happens when you die? Here is your opportunity to find answers to these and many other questions by exploring 30 not only relevant, but life-changing topics that await your discovery. Welcome to Search for Certainty. I'm glad you could join us. I'm your host, Gail Fong, and with me in the studio today is Hannah Nakagawa. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Gail. We are so glad you could join us, and we're going to be studying right now the manner of Christ's coming, such a wonderful hope for the future. Mm. As the world races into this new millennium, have you ever considered what our greatest need is? Mm. What do men and women living in the 21st century need most? If you were starving to death, it might be food. If you are homeless, it might be a place to live. If disease ravished your body, it might be medicine. If you were lonely and discouraged, it might be love. Is there one thing, if you had it, that could take you through any difficulty you might face in life? Is there one thing that can make the human spirit soar? All over the world, people are desperately looking for hope. Someone has well said, what oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to the human spirit. Mm. Hope buoys up our spirits. It lifts our vision from what is to what will be. It is a candle in the darkness. It provides encouragement for the future. And the Bible is filled with the best hope of all, the hope of our Lord's return. Well, before we begin this wonderful Bible study, Hannah, would you open in prayer for us? Sure. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we want to come to you and praise you. Lord, you are God who give us hope. Lord, as we open our Bible today and learn about um, this great hope that you are coming back soon, I pray that you will um, pour your Holy Spirit upon us, lead, a gui- lead us and guide us. And please, Lord, touch our heart. Pray all these things in Jesus' precious and loving name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Hannah. Well, to begin this amazing study, we're going to look in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. What hopeful promise, Hannah, did Jesus give in these verses? Yes, John 14, 1 to 3, the Bible says, Let not your heart to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a wonderful promise. Amen. I, I love that verse. And I love it where Jesus says, and receive you to myself. Mm. Did you know in the Greek that means to hug you to myself? Wow. And that's the blessed hope. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he assured his followers, I 
will come again. again. Mm. The fact that Jesus is coming to the world a second time is as certain as the reality that he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. There is hope on the way. Well, Hannah, in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, which we find in the New Testament, what does the Apostle Paul call the second coming of Christ? Yes, it says, verse um, 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Paul said it, uh, it is a blessed hope. I love that too. Mm. In more modern translations, I think it also puts it as a happy hope. Yes. <laughs> it really lifts your spirits mm. when you think of it. It's a very positive uh, hope that yes. we can look forward mm. to. Well, right throughout the Bible, there is this living hope. And if we turn back our pages to the Old Testament, to Psalms chapter 50 and verse 3, written by David, uh, what assurance does the psalmist David give us regarding our Lord's return? Thank you, Hannah. Psalms chapter 50, 50 and verse 3. Yes, the Bible says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Wow. David wrote that so many thousands of years ago. Yes. Bible writers down through the ages have predicted the coming of the Lord. Mm. For every prophecy, Hannah, in the Old Testament, predicting the first coming of Jesus as a babe in Bethlehem's manger, mm. there are eight on the second coming of Christ. Mm. His coming is mentioned in every book of the New Testament except the little book of Philemon. Wow. That's amazing, don't book. you think? Mm. God truly wants us to keep that wonderful hope in our minds. Yes. Amen. Well, Hannah, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through to 11, how will Christ return when he comes to this earth? Will his coming be a real, literal event or simply a spiritual coming into our hearts. Mm. What does the Bible say? Yes, Acts chapter 1, 9 to 11, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked uh, steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. Mm. So, Hannah, that verse, that scripture is telling us that Jesus' ascension to heaven, it was real. It wasn't just a figment of their imagination. That's right. Disciples were looking at him literally. They saw with him. With their eyes, yes. And his return will again be a very real mm. and literal 
event. That's right, because it says so come in like manner. It will I, be the same way. I love that. Mm. It's amazing how God sent his angels, two angels, to come down and give them that assurance yes. as Jesus left them. Mm. Well, how many people, Hannah, will see Jesus when he comes? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Yes, it says, Behold, he's coming with a cloud, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. That's amazing. Mm. So according to the Bible, those who are alive, everyone will see See him, him. both the righteous and the wicked who are living on planet earth when Mm. Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven. When he returns, they will see him. Yes. Every living inhabitant of the globe will witness the second advent. Mm. Christ's return will overshadow every other event on planet Earth. And there is a lot happening at the moment. But this is going to be something that will bring so much hope yes. to this planet. Mm. No one will need to tell you when Jesus returns. Mm. You will see his coming. But Hannah... There was a little, even those who pierced him, I I thought we could just chase a little rabbit there Mm. and just have a look at that verse. Because Jesus did make a promise to those that were part of his trial Mm. where he was being questioned. Perhaps we could just have a little look there in Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. Okay. Uh, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Mm. So this was Jesus' words to the high priest, as you read the verses before there, where they asked him that question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Mm. And here Jesus assures them he is by saying, you will see me coming. Now, they have gone to rest, Mm. but they will be raised to actually see Jesus coming. Mm. Just like every word of God is true. God's word is truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So be a very visible event. Mm. Well, what does the Bible compare Jesus coming to in the book of Matthew, in Jesus' own words, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27? Yes, the Bible says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow. As the lightning. That's very visible. Yes. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you've we've been in some thunderstorms. They have some great thunderstorms and lightning storms in, in summer throughout the years. And you can pull the curtains across. You can try and sleep. But when that lightning comes, you can still see it through the That's curtains. That's right. That's right. It is, yeah, very bright and... Very vivid, mm. very uh, impactful. Mm. So... That's something that always comforted me as a child, Mm. that we won't miss it. The Bible says we will see it. Mm. We are alive at that time. We will see it. Will Christ's return be a secret, silent coming? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. We're letting the Bible speak. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and 17 it says For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord Wow, there's a shout, there's a trumpet. That's so right. Jesus' coming will be like a mighty blast of a trumpet. Yes. Everyone, everywhere will hear it. Mm. Did you ever learn to play the trumpet, Hannah? Not really, but um, yeah, I, I guess um, trumpet is the most, I would say, very like noisy or loud instrument that probably if I practice at home, my mom would not like that. <laughs> but Hannah, you play a guitar beautifully. Oh, piano. And piano <laughs> as well. You're very musical. In, in my family, uh, my two girls, they chose a trumpet for oh. school band. Yes, and their dad plays a trumpet. That's right. So we did have quite a bit of noise. <laughs> and uh, it was a noisy noise. But as they grew older, they made a delightful noise. Mm, imagine the sound of God, uh, trumpet of God. That would sound amazing. It's going to be so majestic, Hannah. Mm. I can't wait to hear it. Mm. And I know that uh, many will be looking forward to hearing that audible sound. Because as that verse says, also that the dead in Christ will rise first. And as they hear the voice of God and the trumpet, yes, Mm. they will recognize his voice. Well, who will return with Jesus when he comes in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27? Is he returning by himself? What does the Bible say? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So Jesus is coming back with his angels. Imagine that Jesus' second coming with will be the mighty climax of all the ages and he will be surrounded by all his holy angels. Mm. And if we try to imagine that glorious scene and what it would be like, I don't know what you think of in your mind. I think of fireworks, Mm. uh, perhaps um, as we do on New Year's Eve, but it'll be nothing like Jesus returning Mm. with all the angels of heaven. Yes. Wow. I think in the Bible when two angels came down to roll back, one rolled back the the stone where Jesus lay in the tomb Mm. and that whole regiment of soldiers, they fell down at their glory. Mm. We can only imagine when all the angels return, what a magnificent sight that would be something this world has never seen. Mm. It is our beyond our imagination we cannot describe with words. It truly is. And you know, Hannah, I was thinking that someone once asked me, Well, how is it possible for every eye well, to, to see to see Jesus? Yes. Because we're all living all over That's the right. earth. How That's can right. they all see him? <laughs> but there is something called the celestial equator. Mm. And 
the Bible talks about Jesus uh, and talks about heavenly bodies. And there is a space in the Orion. That constellation is actually seen in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. Could it be that our Lord will return with all the angels of glory through that uh, space in the Orion, which as he circumnavigates the earth, Mm. every eye would see him. Mm. We cannot. We cannot know yet. We cannot uh, limit what God is capable of doing. But every Mm. word of God is true and will be fulfilled. Mm. Well. How does the Bible describe the awesome majesty of our Lord's return? Matthew 24 and verse 30. It says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Amen. Mm. So Jesus came silently once, although angels sang glory to God in the highest. In shepherds' fields outside of Bethlehem, only a few had any idea Mm. that the baby born in Bethlehem was the eternal Son of God. But when Jesus comes the second time, he will come, Hannah, as you just read there, in power and Great glory (laughs) in spectacular splendor, visible to the entire world. Wow, it's not going to be a secret. It's not going to be a silent. (laughs) No secrets there with the Lord. He wants us to know Mm. it will be visible. Yes. It will be audible. Mm. If someone tells you that Christ's coming will be in secret, question, should we believe it? Matthew chapter 24 Verses 23 to 27, the words of Jesus himself. Thank you, Hannah. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophet will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner room. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen. So it's interesting that in those verses, mm. Jesus repeats those words, do not believe, believe it. it. Mm. Do not believe it, he says. Yes. He does not want us to be deceived. That's right. He already earned us so that we will know. Because we know that every eye will see. If someone said, oh, did you know that Jesus um, is here? No, no, no. It's not true. Do not believe it because every eye will see. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Wow. If we read on, what thrilling climatic event will take place when Christ returns, turning to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 51 to 53. This is mind-boggling. Thank you, Hannah. Yes, the Bible says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Wow. There is a promise of physical change here. That's right. Wow. And the dead will be raised incorruptible mm. and we shall be changed in a moment. The twinkling of an eye is like the blinking um, of your yes, eyelashes. Yes. Wow. That's how fast. And this body is the perfect body that does not going to get sick or to die or to have bad eyesight. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. This verse gives so much hope. Amen. Amen. Something we will study a little further in our studies as we continue as mm -hmm. well to mm -hmm. unpack that verse in the future. I have a friend who had a bit of um, accident. He lost his few fingers in that wow. accident. Um, and he went to a kid's camp and kids asked him, so is your finger going to grow again? And he answered, N not here, but when Jesus comes back, my um, body will be renewed new. My finger will be renewed new. So there's a great hope in that. That's wonderful hope, mm. wonderful hope in the Word of God. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad your friend knows the Lord Amen. and trusts His Word. Mm. Hannah, would you also read for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 to 17? Because these verses, which we read a little earlier, also tell us about this climatic event. Yes. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is so much to to meditate and unpack in this verse. Mm. It's interesting because as you were reading before about where Jesus said if I'm in the if someone says I'm in the desert, don't go or the secret place, don't believe it. Mm. Because here the Bible tells us where we will actually meet Jesus. Yes. Wow. In the air. Mm. His feet won't touch the ground at his second coming, but we will meet him in the, the air. air. And he even gives the order of the graves will open first mm -hmm. and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Wow. Hannah, would you also read verse 18 there? Yes. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's meant to comfort us, mm. give us that hope. It's that blessed hope. Mm. Amen. God keeps his promises. Yes. We can trust God's word. Mm. Everyone on earth will have one of two reactions when Jesus comes. What will the reaction be of the lost? Revelation 6, 14 
to 16. It says, Then the sky recedes as the scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountain and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do they sound like they're excited to see the Lord returning? No, no. They are calling mountains and rocks and said, fall on us and hide us. It's um, They just don't want to see the king of king, Jesus. They just hide themselves from him. And even they want to kill themselves. Wow. They must be just so filled with guilt and fear yes. that the unsaved run from the Christ who loves them mm. and longs to save them. Mm. They've rejected his mercy, turned their backs on his love. Yes, they're now frightened. They flee to shield themselves from his glory. What a tragic ending. Mm. What will the reaction of the righteous be? The ancient book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 25 and verse 9. It says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. It's just the opposite. Yes, they are rejoicing. They have been waiting so long to see Jesus, and they are so happy. Amen. The saved long for his return. Their hearts are filled with joy. He's their friend, their savior, their Lord, and their king. They delight in his presence here and will delight in it through all eternity. Mm. They've chosen to believe his promise yes. and his promise that he will come again, to accept his invitation mm. to them, to accept him as their Lord, as their Savior, as their coming King. Well, when is the time to prepare for the coming of the Lord? What does Paul write in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Hannah? It says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Wow. So... That's very uh, powerful verse there. Mm, that's right. It says um, today is the accepted time. It's easy to procrastinate. That's right. We always um, wonder there will be a better time to accept God. But Bible says it is today is the time. Mm. Yes. And interesting, that word now is there twice. Mm. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You find in the Bible, if something's mentioned twice, Mm. then it's adding importance to that concept of preparedness 
today. Mm. Don't put off till tomorrow. That's right. Sadly, people do. And, and we do that with different things in life. Mm. I had a friend, um, one of my friends when I was uh, much younger, and I remember that they said, well, when I'm older, I'll come mm. back to mm. God. Mm. And I just want to do my own life now. Mm. I don't believe that person has ever really come back to really making God their friend. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a choice. God never forces us. That's right. But there is so much joy in choosing him. Amen. Because we really, truly don't know how long our life will be. Amen. That's right. We never know what would happen tomorrow. Even today, we don't know. Um, day by day, you know, we choose um, God. We have given the opportunity to choose him. Um, we never know the future. Yes. So. And for our listeners... I pray that you would hear, hear God's voice calling you mm. through this verse. Amen. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Well, what event does Jesus liken to his coming and why? Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 to 43. In Jesus' own words. Thank you, Hannah. It's, he said, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. It is very interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting too because Jesus likened his coming to a thief breaking yes. into a house. Mm, that's right. Doesn't not this does not mean that Christ will come secretly. secretly. It means he will come swiftly. Yeah. Quickly at a time we least expect. Because mm, we never know when thief will come and it's the same way we never know when Jesus will come. That's so true, Hannah. And in a previous Bible study, we looked at the signs, signs yes. of Jesus coming. Mm. We can tell that Jesus is near. That his coming mm. is coming close. Yes. But no one knows the day nor exactly. the hour. No. Mm. So there's a need for since Jesus is coming unexpectedly, Hannah, what counsel does he give us in Matthew 24? Verse 44. Yes. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Wow. Yes, he said be ready, um, because we don't know when. But if we are ready today, we can um, watch and wait for him. Amen. That need to make that decision today, not to put it off. To be ready for the coming of Jesus, yes, means to eagerly anticipate his coming. Mm. It means a heart longing for his return. It involves a life committed to doing his will. Mm. Love for him leads us to long to be with him throughout eternity. Amen. He's patiently waiting for each one of us mm. 
to recognize how much he loves us. Mm. And this promise, as we began, is meant to be one of hope, a, a happy hope, to buoy up our spirits because this world has very dark mm. times in everyone's lives. Mm. There's mountains and there's valleys, mm. but this hope buoys us along. That's right. Just like your friend who lost his fingers, mm. the tops of his fingers. Mm. There's a hope for renewal. There's a hope that God is coming and will keep his promise. Amen. Well, we always like to make a decision when we study God's word. And there is a decision here. And it says, I accept Jesus as my personal saviour and today surrender my life to him. I long to see him come soon. I believe Jesus coming is the brightest hope for our world. I pray as you're listening in that this would be your heart longing to accept Jesus as your personal saviour and that you would accept that hope that he offers to you Amen. today. Amen. And I accept that. Yes, me too. Amen. Well, let us close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed hope that you have given to us in your word because your word is true and faithful. Your word is truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Mm. And today, Lord, we ask, take our lives just now. Make them yours, fully yours. We know you desire to save us and we desire to live with you forever. So, Lord, prepare us and comfort us and give us your strength and give us, Lord, a greater desire to know you because your word gives us so much hope. And we ask this for the pardon of our sins in Jesus' most worthy name. Amen. Amen. Well, Hannah, I've really enjoyed our Bible study today and we thank our our listeners for joining us as well. Yes, thank you so much. This is one of my most favorite subjects in the Bible. I love to meditate mm. on the return of Jesus. And we pray that this will give you so much hope in this world that has so much sadness and grief and mm. pain. Mm. But this study will lift your spirits today. And we pray that God be with you and go in peace until our next study. We invite you to come back and join us again. Thank you. questions or comments about any of the programs you've heard, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 
3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot O-R-G dot A-U. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. of Our Faith, Volume 2, that was Don't You See My Jesus Coming. Coming up next, Marlita Fong will sing, I Want to Go to Heaven. 
To answers to the big questions. I'm your host, Alan Sonter, and I'm glad you could join me. In the last episode, I talked about whether one religion is better than another. Some suggestions were made to help us decide the answer to this question, though, of course, much more could be said about the issue. In my answers to the big questions in this series, only a brief outline of the subjects is possible but I invite you to contact me at 3ABN if you have further questions. Today's question is one which most of us have asked at one time or another. 
While we've considered some aspects of this question in previous episodes in this series, today we'll attempt to give an answer that deals specifically with the question. There are two parts to the question, so let's start with the first part. Where did we come from? Nobody alive today has first-hand experience of the beginnings of the human race. We can only learn from the sources that claim to know the answer. There are two main sources to which people go to look for answers to such questions, science and religion. When we ask science where we came from, we really find no answers because science depends on observation and interpretation. As noted above, no scientist alive has ever observed the beginning of the human race. So the best a scientist can do is to observe so-called evidence for possible beginnings of human life and other forms of life as well, and interpret this evidence using principles of interpretation developed by observing the world around us. Most scientists believe that there is no God, so they set about looking for evidence they can interpret as indicating that life began without the intervention of God. The most common belief by modern scientists is that man evolved from lower forms of life and that these forms of life evolved from still earlier forms until we go right back to the beginning when life arose spontaneously from non-living matter in some kind of primordial soup. Scientists who accept this theory then have to come up with evidence to support their ideas. The theory I have briefly described is called the theory of evolution, and it was championed by Charles Darwin from about the 1840s. He worked out his theory after observing that some birds in the Galapagos Islands had different shaped beaks from others, and he believed that the different beaks had evolved to enable the birds to cope with different environmental factors experienced by the birds over time. Darwin knew nothing of the highly complex cellular structure of living things, or of the information contained in DNA which enables living organisms to replicate themselves. Had he known about such things, he would probably never have launched the theory of evolution. But because he knew nothing of modern biological science, he taught his theory, which at the time was thought to be possibly plausible. Because his ideas provided a way of explaining the origins of life without needing a creator god, many in the scientific world accepted them gladly, and they rapidly spread throughout the scientific community. Once these ideas had taken hold, there were many scientists who would be ready to defend them against anyone who suggested that God was the creator. It appeared that there were only two options. Either God created life, or life evolved without God. It's my belief that the theory of evolution would never have taken hold if scientists in Darwin's time had known what we now know of biological science, as the theory is totally untenable, given what we now know. It's simply not possible for more complex forms of life to develop from simpler forms, because the more complex forms require more information in the DNA, and the more information requires intelligence, and without an intelligent God, there's no source of intelligence from which the needed information can come. But once science had accepted Darwin's theory, 
the efforts of scientists were focused on finding evidence to support the theory. So when our understanding of DNA and other aspects of genetics was presented to evolutionists, they tried desperately to prove that their theory was correct, despite the evidence against it arising from genetics. So evolution still has millions of followers who are intent on defending their theory against any evidence creationists may present to the contrary. Almost every law of biology, chemistry and physics would have to be broken if evolution was true. Take just one example, the law of entropy, also known as the second law of thermodynamics. It states that as one goes forward in time, the net entropy, that's the degree of disorder, of any isolated and closed system will always increase or at least stay the same. Entropy is simply a measure of disorder and affects all aspects of our daily lives. Put simply, the law of entropy says that everything tends to break down or fall to pieces unless it is maintained by the input of someone's effort. But according to evolution, over vast periods of time, living things became more complex and order increased, that is simply not possible, according to this law. On the other hand, those who believe that God created everything in the universe can point to a great deal of evidence that indicates the activity of a creator in the origins of life. The complex designs of living things, the ability of living organisms to reproduce themselves, and the evidence of fossils and geology for a comparatively recent creation and a catastrophic worldwide flood all lead the open-minded observer to conclude that living organisms, including human beings, were designed and created by an intelligent being that we choose to call God. We can see that science has no satisfactory answer to the question, where did we come from? So let's look to religion for an answer. After all, religion is the source of our ideas about things we cannot understand by observing the world around us. When we study various religions, we see that each religion has its own answer to this question, ranging from the dreamtime stories of the Australian Aborigines to the tribal stories of people in many cultures and to the beliefs of Hindus, Buddhists and others. Then there is the teachings of the Bible, which tell us in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis just how humans were created by God. In the first episode of this series, we gave evidence for believing that the Bible is God's message to us. So here we will focus on what the Bible says about where we came from. In Genesis 1 verses 26 to 29, we read the account of the creation of humans, which reads as follows. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, 
and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. This account is straightforward and tells us that God made humans and gave them a plant-based diet. Also tells us that God gave the animals a plant-based diet. Then in the second chapter of Genesis, in verses 7, 18, 21 and 22, we read how God made man and woman. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. These verses continue, telling us that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, which it tells us in verse 24. It's interesting to learn that God's account of the beginning of human life includes an explanation of how the two sexes began and of the beginning of the marriage relationship, which of course provides for humans to reproduce themselves. The theory of evolution has no plausible explanation for the continuation of the race. So we can answer the question, where did we come from? Quite simply, We were created by God when he made life on the earth. I believe this happened about 6,000 years ago, based on the chronology of the Bible. Now let's look at the second question. Where are we going? In episode 4 of this series, we looked at the question, what is death? And on the face of it, it looks quite simple. We will all eventually die, go to sleep, to await the resurrection. If we have accepted the salvation Jesus offers us, we will be brought back to life at the first resurrection when Jesus returns. Or, if we have rejected the salvation Jesus offers, we will sleep till the second resurrection when we will be brought back to life to face the judgment for all our rebellion against God. But what happens then? This is where the difference between those who have accepted Christ and the salvation he offers, and those who have chosen to live for themselves, becomes very clear. In episode 6 of the series, we told something of the future of these two groups, but we need here to say something about what causes us to be in one group or the other. The difference is a matter of our choice, who we choose to worship. Jesus offers us a gift, salvation, and eternal life, if we worship him. But not all accept this free gift. If we live our lives to bring the greatest joy to the most people, we will choose to allow Jesus to control our lives and all that we do. This means living unselfishly, as Christ lived. As the Bible writer, the Apostle Paul, put it in his letter to the church at Galatia in chapter 2 and verse 20, "'My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live.'" but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's only if we really love Jesus 
that we will be happy to worship him and have him in control of our lives. It is this idea that Christ lives in the one who accepts his free gift of salvation that makes the life of the Christian so different from that of the person who wants to live for himself or herself. Someone who chooses to live for selfish pleasure or gain will not be happy to have Christ in control of the life. So such a person will not accept the salvation offered because although it costs no money, it means giving Christ control of our lives. So the two ways to live are very different, and the final end of each is also very different. The difference is in who we worship. For the person who is happy to worship Christ and have him in control of his or her life, the end is the first resurrection at Christ's second coming and a place in the new earth that Christ will set up on this earth after sin has been completely eliminated. That person will live forever in that wonderful world where everyone worships God and loves Christ and one another. For the person who chooses to worship the rebel, Satan, and live for self, the end is the second resurrection, after the end of the thousand years, the millennium, during which time God and his people are in heaven judging those who have rejected Christ, while Satan and his angels are restricted to this desolate earth with no one to tempt. Then, when those who have lived for self and chosen to worship Satan are brought back to life in the second resurrection, they join Satan and his angels in an attempt to take the holy city, which comes down from heaven with Christ and his people. Their attempt to take the city ends when God destroys both Satan and his followers in a lake of fire which destroys all sin and sinners and cleanses the earth of all the effects of sin. God then makes the whole earth new and sets up his government here on this earth. All of this is described in chapters 20 and 21 in the book of Revelation in the Bible. So our options are live forever loving and worshipping God or worship Satan and die in the lake of fire, which is called the second death, from which there is no resurrection. My listening friend, Please accept the joy of having Christ live in your heart. His presence gives meaning to life and fills your life with joy and love. Living for self leads to sorrow and death. Please choose life. You've been listening to Answers to the Big Questions. I'm Alan Sonter, and I hope you can join me again next time. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.